Our great God, we recognize that you are the creator, the giver of life, the sustainer of life, and the one who calls us to be your children. So it's in faith and it is with great joy that we call you our father. And we recognize that you call us your children. Lord, today we pray that you would speak to us from your word. By speak, we mean that you would open our eyes to see your truth. That you would give us conviction. That you would give us hope. And that you would stir us to love you to love your word, and to love your work above all else. And Lord, to this end, we need your help. So we pray for your help. We pray for your spirit to move. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So good to see you all this morning. If you haven't done so already, please take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew. Uh, chapter 13. Um, This is where we'll spend our time this morning. This is the passage that Emmy just read for us. Um, If you are our guest today, here's a few things that will help you. One, we are studying through the book of Matthew. Um, And two, we've spent the last several weeks in chapter 13 and, and even this particular passage. So this is our second week in this passage. And so um, there will be parts of this passage and parables that we won't talk about today because we talked about them last week, and there's a, a sermon recording that I would commend to you. Um, here's what we're going to see today. We're going to see that the kingdom of God, that is the work that Jesus, the Son of God, is doing and has been doing since he came, is of great value. To be connected with the Son of God and to be connected with the work he came to do is of great value. The parable is going to say it it moves to joy. It moves to hope. It moves to clinging to the Lord. The value of the kingdom is immense and eternal, which then means the cry of our heart is, Lord, reorient us appropriately. Reorient us appropriately. So this passage comes at a time where Jesus is sitting in a boat speaking back to the shore of large crowd of people that have gathered around him. He's teaching them in parables about the kingdom of heaven. Um, The passage that Emmy just read for us, beginning in verse 24 and ending in verse 52, has six parables in it. And today, we're going to look at four of them. Um, There's two of them that convey a similar message, and there's two more that convey a similar message. Message. The purpose of these parables is to teach the followers of Jesus about following Jesus. The language of the passage is this the purpose of the parables is to teach the followers of Jesus about the kingdom of heaven. So when I say kingdom of heaven, 
And I think when Jesus says kingdom of heaven and when the scripture says kingdom of heaven, this is what it means. It means the work that Jesus, the king, is doing through his people in the world. The work that Jesus, the king, is carrying out through his people into the world. So that would mean that any of us who turn from our sin and call upon Jesus for salvation have been made children of the kingdom. So if we call ourselves children of God, we're saying we belong to the kingdom of God to carry out the work of God in God's world. And so when Jesus then says the kingdom is like, the kingdom is of value, this is how the kingdom is going to grow, he's speaking to us. He's saying this is how it's going to play out. And so the first thing we're going to see is that the kingdom will grow from small beginnings. The kingdom will grow from small beginnings. So if you're taking notes this morning, our first point is small beginnings. And so in verses 31 through 33, that's where we're going to be on this point, Jesus gives two parables. A parable about a mustard seed and a parable about leaven. A parable about mustard seed and a parable about leaven. And the beautiful thing about these parables is you don't have to be a brilliant scholar to understand what Jesus is saying. The parable about the mustard seed goes like this. A mustard seed is really tiny. It's inconsequential. It's unnoticeable. No one goes, look, over there, a mustard seed. That's the depth of it. Jesus says, The kingdom's like this because it's going to start like the seed, but it's going to end up a large, visible plant that bears fruit and others depend upon it. So the kingdom is going to start like a seed and going to become a plant. Second, verse 33, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Leaven being yeast. Yeast is a tiny, tiny, tiny particle, but if you leave it out of your bread, you don't have bread. You have something hard and terrible. But if you put it in, you have something that grows and flourishes. And so again, when someone, if you make bread and you have it kind of in a dough form in your house, like rarely does someone look at that and go, oh, yeast. I see the yeast. But they see the fruit of the yeast and they celebrate the fruit of the yeast. And so with these two parables, Jesus is simply saying this, the kingdom is a seed that is planted that will grow over time and come to harvest at the right time. Now you might say, okay, cool. Why is that so important? I think it's of importance because in these stream of parables, Jesus was correcting some misunderstandings about the king and the kingdom and salvation and deliverance that his original hearers were wrestling with. So last week, we said that the parable, one thing the parable of the sower did is it clarified the timing of the kingdom. The kingdom's here But the full harvest comes at the end of time. 
What these two parables do is they, they, they clarify how that broadly influential the kingdom's going to be. I think the religious folks of the day thought that the kingdom would come with an immediate swath of success. Jesus is here, down go the enemies, up go the followers, we're a nation, we reign. Isn't it awesome to belong to Jesus the King? But we who know the story know that that's not exactly how it went. Jesus said, I'm here. And a few followed him. And now, the scripture calls them crowds, but compared to the totality of Israel, it was a minor few. And then one of them betrayed him. And then he died. He was buried. He was a human failure. And then he rose again and defeated sin and defeated death. By the way, I love it when I haven't seen you this morning, but now I know you're here by the inflection of your amen. That just makes me so happy. Um, Welcome, Debbie. I I still can't see you, but I hear you. And I'm so glad to hear you, okay? All right. (laughs) So what Jesus is doing through this parable is he's conveying to his followers, don't judge the truthfulness or the fruitfulness of the kingdom by what you see immediately, but judge it through what God is going to do through it as time goes on. Jesus and a small band of followers gathered in Jerusalem, and it looked like they had failed. Fast forward a couple centuries, and Jesus and a small band of followers have been used by the king of the kingdom to change the world forever, and we're part of the fruit of that, okay? So, the seeds of the kingdom grow over time. The seeds of the kingdom grow as the Lord sees fit to nurture them and grow them. So when we say we belong to Christ, we believe he is coming again, we believe that he will harvest the field, and we believe that the kingdom will last forever, what we're saying is that tiny leaven will be bread. And what we're saying is that tiny seed will be a tree. Read verse 32. Speaking of the mustard seed, it's the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So there's magnitude. So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branch. You see, like this kingdom is going to go from virtually invisible and inconsequential to something that benefits the whole of the world. So Jesus is speaking to his followers. Jesus is saying, understand that the, the growth trajectory of the kingdom 
the growth trajectory of my work, the future plans of the kingdom, the future plans of my work is going to be much like a mustard seed and much like leaven. It's going to be slow. It's going to be progressive. And it may be under the surface and not visible to the masses for long periods of time. So, the takeaway for the original followers of Jesus here is very clear. Orient your expectations accordingly. But some of us here, 2,000 years past when Jesus is speaking this, we might say, okay, but what's the What are we supposed to take away from that? I think what we take away from this is the exact same point, that the fruits of the kingdom are not always readily visible to us. And the growth of the kingdom does not always come quickly the way we expect it to come. And so we need to reorient our expectations of ministry and our expectations of mission and our expectations of what the Lord is doing in the world according to what God has promised he would do and not what we expect him to do. And honestly, one of the the head of the list of people that I would speak to with these two parables are church leaders. So often church leaders, we put together these campaigns and we're like, we're going to do these five things and this community is going to be forever transformed for Jesus, never to look back. Maybe. But maybe not. What if the Lord just wants us to keep clinging to the gospel, keep believing in his son, keep speaking his word, keep loving others, keep doing all the things that he's commanded us to do, and his kingdom will come to a tree and to fruition in different pockets of the world as he sees fit, and we entrust that to That's how it's going to be. That's what Jesus is telling. So for us, the question is, can we reorient our expectations to understand that the growth of the kingdom belongs to the Lord? The expansion of the kingdom belongs to the Lord. The fruitfulness of the kingdom, how pervasive it is, all of that belongs to the Lord. Our responsibility is faith. Our responsibility is obedience. Our responsibility is proclamation. Our responsibility is mission. Our responsibility is to go out into the world. Our responsibility is to raise those in our care, to know and love the Lord. But the fruitfulness of all of that seed sowing is in the Lord's hands. It's in the Lord's hands. So we reorient our expectations about ministry through what the Lord will do. Um, One more kind of implication, kind of thought here. And I want to be really careful with what I'm about to say. 
Um, I, I, I think, I'm not going to say that. That's going to become a distraction, the distraction of the point. So scratch that point. The kingdom moves from small beginnings to something that lasts forever. And that trajectory from something that's small and virtually unnoticeable to something that is very noticeable, very fruitful, and lasts forever, that pathway is controlled by the Lord, and we who belong to the Lord labor alongside him until his timing comes to bear. Second point this morning, the second set of parables, um, great value, great value. I'm looking here at the two parables in verses 44 through 46. Verses 44 through 46. Um, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, to understand the concept of this parable is not hard. To allow the truth of this parable to probe through our hearts and do its work, it's not fun. I'm just going to go ahead and, and warn you. What I'm about to say is not hard to understand and it's not fun to navigate. But I think we should. First parable, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. And so he tells about a man who found the treasure, was filled with joy about the treasure, and sold everything he had so that he could have rightfully that treasure. What's Jesus saying about the kingdom? That it's a treasure and a joy that is worth more than everything we have. In case we missed the point, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Now notice, now he's not saying the kingdom of heaven is a pearl, but he's saying it's someone searching for a pearl. Someone longing for something. And when that merchant finds one pearl, finds what he's been longing for, he sells everything that he has for the pearl. So what's Jesus saying? The kingdom is worth everything and the kingdom is the pearl that satisfies the soul. The kingdom is what we've all been looking for, whether we realize it or not. Okay. Conceptually, very simple to figure out. What Jesus is saying is that to belong to Christ, to belong to his 
people to participate in his work is of great value, greater value than everything else we have, and is the greatest joy, and is that which we have been searching for and longing for, even if we don't fully realize it. That's what Jesus is saying. Okay, so what do we do? Well, we don't need to all go home and have massive yard sales this afternoon. Or all the Redeemer people are now immediately, right now, no longer listening to the sermon, but on Facebook Marketplace, like just posting stuff, you know. Post it, husband, five grand, whatever, okay. Selling everything we have is not the takeaway of the passage because you can't purchase the kingdom. We enter the kingdom through faith in Christ. We enter the kingdom by clinging to Jesus. Jesus purchased our way into the kingdom. So he's not calling for poverty. What he's calling for is actually harder. Selling everything I have, I know how to do that. But what Jesus is saying is, search your heart and evaluate those things that you wouldn't want to give up if you had to give them up to have Jesus. And there, there we see an idol. There, there we see something that we need to repent of. There we see something that we need to reevaluate. So what I'm calling on you to see this morning is to belong to the kingdom is of great value. To belong to the kingdom is of great value. Second, I'm asking us to believe that to belong to the kingdom is more satisfying than everything else this world might offer us. That to belong to the kingdom is more satisfying than everything else this world might offer us. Now, those of us who've experienced a bit of life and disappointment and hurt and brokenness and We went out and chased all the things only to realize that it was just like a dog chasing its tail and we would never catch it. When Jamie stands up on Sunday morning and says, the kingdom is of greater joy than everything this world has to offer. We're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I get it. I actually taught these two verses to some middle schoolers this week and in the back were their parents and all the parents were back there going, And all the kids were like, but but to those of us that are younger, those of us that are just waiting to, to get out of our house so we can go experience the world the way we want to and not the way our parents want us to. Look, all the parents are scoffing at you, not because you're wrong, but because we did it too. You know, if I could just get out of my house, I'm going to be happy. If I could just get out of high school, I'm going to be happy. If I could just get out of college, I'm going to be happy. If I could just get a real job, oh my gosh, I have a job? Like, like it just doesn't work. If I could just have fill in the blank, then I would be happy. 
What the history of humanity tells us is every one of those things is dissatisfying and does not bring joy, but to belong to Christ is the pearl of great value and the treasure of great joy. So I'm just saying, put on these glasses, the glasses that say the kingdom is a joy and I will believe it even when I don't feel it. The kingdom is a joy, and I'll believe it even when I feel like I got to go another way. Life is a series of decisions, a series of intellectual decisions, moral decisions, volitional decisions, vocational decisions, parenting decisions, financial decisions. And I sit at a place in my life where I'm just like, I don't want to make any more decisions. But at the end of the day, in some ways, the sum total of what we are is all these decisions that we make. Let's make them through the lens that to belong to the kingdom and pursue the kingdom and walk with the Savior is of greatest value. And third, I want to ask you to live out the value. I want to ask you to live out the value. Now, friends, I just made community group tonight and Wednesday night really uncomfortable, okay? But if, if when I say live out the value, you're making a list for your spouse or for your kids or for your neighbor or for your friend, I don't think you're doing it right. Now, the Lord might prompt you and lead you to lovingly encourage someone in their search for following after Jesus. But what's the thing or the 20 things that, that if I couldn't have these things, I couldn't be satisfied to walk with Jesus? Whatever's on that list, that's the thing we have to start prayerfully considering, like like. Lord, do I see that your kingdom is of the greatest value or do I not? I can say it, but am I living as if walking with you and following you and serving you is of greatest value? So I'm asking you to believe that the kingdom is of value, to believe that the kingdom is most satisfying, And then prayerfully to live out such a value. To live out such a value. Well, that's abstract. So help me out. Okay. To launch into sin is not living the value. To turn away from sin is living. To navigate every day as if it is the goal of the world for you to be happy and have everything you want, whenever you want, however you want, is not to live the value. But to navigate every day that to pursue what God desires and to serve others in that pursuit, that would be to live the value. To want to know the Lord would be to live the value. 
To want to walk in his ways would be to live the value. To want others to know the Lord and walk in his ways would be to live the value. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So our Father and our God, we pray now that you would We pray now that you would take these words and that you would work them into us and work them through us such that we would honor you and glorify you. We pray this all because we love you and because we want to walk in your ways. And in the name of Jesus, amen.